Hey, what's your name? Noah. Noah, what do you do? Not much. Are you a kale chip maker? Not really. I like to play with toys and stuff. Really? Are you a vegetarian? Uh, yes. He's a vegan. Are you a vegan? Yeah, I'm a vegan. And why did you decide to go vegan? I don't know. I was just born like that. And how old are you? Five and three quarters. Three quarters? Are you excited about your sixth birthday? Yes. Six is an important number. <laughs> You're going to school now? Yes. What's that like? Oh, it's just fun. Well, not all of it is fun. fun. Some of it's fun. Some of it I just say, oh, that's just plain horribleness. Have they tried to make you learn math yet? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that What's the part that's horribleness? One? What's one plus one? One plus one? You don't know? No, I do know. Well, according to uh, Roger Daltrey, one plus one equals one. What do you think about that? Two, okay. What's two plus two? I don't know. Oh, wait. Four. How many vegans does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. One. One? One to screw in the light bulb and one to read the ingredients. How many is that? Oh, that's two. Very good, very good. Thank you. Yes, we're back. It's Vegan Radio. And that was Noah from the New York Capital Region Vegetarian Expo, the vegetarian event of 2011 with way too many words in the title, but we'll let them slide, we'll let them slide. You know you're Jones in for tofu. Yes. In the intervening months, I've gotten even more crazy than I ever have been, so welcome to my mind. We're going to be featuring interviews from the New York Capital Region Vegetarian Expo leading up to a stellar interview with Melanie Joy. Joy to the world. The vegans have come. Let heaven and angels sing. Also, we have a very special treat for you. A new vegan radio theme song. Vegan radio. Vegan radio. I wrote. <laughs> Actually, I just put new lyrics to an old song. The old song was the big rock candy mountains. The new song is the big old vegan mountains. And you vegan are in for a big treat. As the sun came up and the factory farms was a burning and down the road came a mama with a lamb Said, boys, I ain't turning I'm headed for a land that's far away Where the folks are more enlightened So come with me and we'll go see the big old vegan mountains In the big old vegan mountains The animals are free And the lambs lay with the lions And the birds buzz with the bees you can cock-a-doodle-doo with the rooster, you can cuddle with the cow, you can haggle with the hog, face downward with the dog, you can network with the monkeys in the jungle vlogs in the big old vegan mountains. In the big old vegan mountains, the meat's all analog, and Americans eat for chicken, and the Chinese eat for dog. 
And the cheese is made from cashews And the ice cream is coconutless And there's ocean breeze through the mango trees And chocolate rivers dipped with strawberries In the big old vegan mountains In the big old vegan mountains There are no ingredient lists Cause everything is natural And allergies don't exist And the mushrooms all are magic And the girls all like to kiss and the dungarees are cruelty-free, made from hemp and cotton, grown organically in the big old vegan mountains. And I'll see you all at the vegan mall in the big old vegan mountains. talking on the on the radio you don't think what you have to say is important i don't think but maybe it is i think when people hear hear small children saying that they're vegan it's it makes them makes them feel good you don't think so well it could maybe maybe not you have a lot of power you're the generation you're the future Lift up five pound weights. Really? Can you do ten pounds? I don't know. How about can you do one five pound weight in each hand? Oh uh, yeah, I can. So that's ten pounds. Oh. You are strong. It's all from the vegan food. I don't know. It might be from tofu. Macaroons. <laughs> oh, you want a macaroon. All right, well, I'm here with Samantha from Emmy's. Mm-hmm. Made with love in Ithaca. What do you guys make with love? We make all vegan and gluten-free and raw snacks, including macaroons, granola, chocolate sauce, um, trail mixes, and other sprouted seeds. Sprouted seeds? You sprout your own sprouts? Well, at home, yes. We do our, well, we, lately we do a lot of wheatgrass, but not for Emmys. <laughs> not for the food? You don't have wheatgrass macaroons? We don't. That would be pretty amazing. <laughs> but and we do soak and sprout all of the nuts and seeds that go in our granola, and we dehydrate it. So. Can people get this stuff online? Oh, yeah. We have a website that is absolutely brand new, www.emmysorganics.com. Emmy, so it's E-M-M-Y-S organic. Organics with an S. Organics. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and this is your partner here? Yep, my partner, Ian. What's his name? His name is Ian. Ian. And we started this business in the very beginning of 2009 in Ithaca, actually in his mother's home kitchen. And it was really Did you get that certified or should we not tell people? No, we got it certified. It's, all, it's <laughs> legit. <laughs> Um, and then we quickly moved out of there, and uh, we were in a basement, the basement of someone's home, and had that space certified. And now we're in a brand new space where we've been for a little over a year, and we have some growing room, and we're really excited. And how's how's it going? It sounds like while well, you keep moving, that means you're probably expanding. Yes, we're doing really well. We've been working with a number of distribution companies, um, which is new for us. So they're allowing us to get our products 
out much further. Are you in Whole Foods yet? Or we are, yep. We're um, in all the Whole Foods in New York City, um, as well as many in the uh, mid-Atlantic region, which is like Pennsylvania, Baltimore, one store in New Jersey. So there's a few stores in that area. And what? tell me about these um, chocolate sauces you have over here. They're the things that are kind of drawing my attention. Mm, um, well, we make... We make raw chocolate sauce, meaning we use all raw ingredients, including an amazing raw cacao powder that we get that is loaded with antioxidants and magnesium. So we have the chocolate, we use a raw agave nectar, salt, and vanilla, and that's it. And um, it's an amazing sauce that you can do anything with, pretty much. Ice cream. Anything? (laughs) Anything. (laughs) It's it's amazing. That's the kind of sauce I like. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Multi-purpose. Yeah. And so macaroons, what else you got over here? Granola? Granola, although we don't call it granola. But it is granola. Um, We have four different flavors. Three of them are brand new. And we're doing a trail mix now that uh, features just raw nuts and some dried fruit. And and Himalayan crystal salt. Is it hard to get raw nuts? I've heard this thing about like California has to pasteurize their nuts or something now. It's the almonds, yeah. It's not all nuts, but um, almonds. If you get them from California, then they're going to be pasteurized. We um, we order Italian almonds through our local distributor, and they're amazing. So you've overcome that obstacle. We have. I mean, there's. it's really interesting being in this business and really trying to control all the ingredients that you're getting. We put a lot of work into researching the companies that we're ordering everything from. And at a point, it's almost like you almost wish you could just go and actually see the process. But uh, we do We do our legwork. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Uh, anything else you'd like to tell our millions of listeners? Um definitely check out our website we just launched a new one so it's really user-friendly and beautiful and we're also really active on facebook if anyone wants to follow us there like you yes like us i like you already great i'm so happy (laughs) (laughs) well thank you uh good luck with your business and i'm gonna have to get some of this chocolate sauce before i leave and try to do everything with it great awesome I am here at the New York Capital Region Vegetarian Expo with Compassion Couture. Did I say it right? Yes. (laughs) And you guys are are a brand new vegan business? Yeah, we just launched on September 1st, and our website is www.compassioncoutureshop.com. She's good. She's already got the the website first thing. (laughs) How how do you spell couture? C-O-U. T-U-R-E. <laughs> and is, is that French or something? What does that mean? That means high, well-made fashion. High and well-made? Yes. What's the high part have to do with? High fashion. High fashion. Uh, so you're not like smoking weed or something? <laughs> no, sorry. That that wasn't what I meant. <laughs> oh, okay. And what, what are you? Uh, uh, you just came out in September and you're in Long Island? We're based out of Long Island. Right now our store is only online. So it's an online boutique, but yeah, we're on Long Island. That's awesome. And how's things going so far? Have you got a good reception yet? Are people been finding you online? Yeah, I think um, you know the word's getting spread really quickly. So we've we've been hearing really good things, really good feedback. It sounds like people are really interested, and this is something they've been looking for for a long time. 
And how, what separates you from other companies, vegan companies in the same kind of uh, high fashion couture? We really haven't found many high fashion online boutiques for vegan customers. Um, most of the online sites out there actually sell, you know, vegan products that are not sustainable and they're kind of made cheap from cheaper materials. All of ours are higher quality and they they'll hold up and they are, you know, fashion forward. Fashion forward. Wow. You're good. Were you ever a publicist for another company or, or, or like promoting anything else before in your life? No, actually. <laughs> um, I work in marketing, so that does help, but I've never done this before. And we're just really, really passionate about what we're doing. So I think that helps. And you two are sisters. What's your names? <laughs> yeah, we're sisters. I'm Jill and this is Tracy. Tracy, do you have any other sisters? Nope. Have you been vegan all your lives, or is that something that just happened along the path? I've been vegan since January of 2008. It was kind of like an overnight type of thing where I read a book, and it kind of opened my eyes to certain things that were going on. What book was that? Skinny Bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. It's got a lot of people. So I kind of look at it, though, as not really like an overnight change, but something that took me back to my childhood where I always wanted to be veterinarian and I always had an affinity towards animals. And I kind of just growing up around mainstream, you don't really get exposed to stuff like that. And I kind of, it kind of faded into the background. But once I read that book, I, I just realized, like, that's really the path I needed to be on. So you realized that you wanted to be a vegetarian, not a veterinarian. Exactly. You just had a few letters mixed up. Well, the fact that I'm allergic to dogs and almost every other animal would make it hard to be a, ve a veterinarian. So. Oh, well, that's true. And how about you? you did Jill, did you follow your sister's uh, footsteps, or how did you end up? Are, are you a vegan? Uh, I'm actually a vegetarian. My sister converted me. I uh, <laughs> she didn't force me, but I definitely... I've been wanting to make the, the change for a while because I also love animals. And um, once she, once I saw how easy it was for her to be vegan, I thought, you know, why not? And I've been a vegetarian for about a year now. So do you think you'll become a vegan eventually? or you, what's, what's the holdout? The holdout is just my lifestyle. It's just crazy um, working and, you know, I... I don't know, Jill. Do you think that's a good excuse? <laughs> I would have to disagree. Oh, wait, you're not Jill. What was your name? I'm Tracy. 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 <laughs> so, or, could we get a little uh, sisterly argumentation going on here? We could. We could. <laughs> Do you guys ever fight over this, or is it, uh, is it just like you give it, you give each other love and no fight? We fight like sisters. <laughs> That's good. Well, it's good to fight. You know, it's good to it's good to have these discussions. I think. And um, anything else you want to talk about your company to our listeners? Um. What's what's your uh, what are your favorite items you're offering right now? I think some of our favorites for the for the fall are the ankle booties because those are like really popular this year, and we have a couple that are so so adorable, um, and they are. 
100% cruelty free. They're really well made. They're eco friendly, and um, I'm trying to think. We also really love some of our bigger bags for commuting. Um, we commute into the city for work every day, so we really love any bag that comes that keeps us organized and fits all of our stuff in it for commuting. So we have a couple of those. Awesome. How about you, Jill? You got any favorites? Um, I got to say the Reveal Taylor Satchel and Caramel is my favorite product. <laughs> I own it myself, <laughs> and I have it sitting right next to me. Oh, <laughs> sure. We're going to have to take a picture of this. Wow, it's pretty nice. It looks, it looks like suede on there. That's yeah. not suede? It's actually made of recycled plastic bottles, and it looks like suede. And, yeah, we should take a picture of it. it feels like suede, too. It's really soft like suede. Yeah. Nice. I, I could get some fake suede shoes. <laughs> when are you going to have stuff for men? I, f I feel left out of the high couture right now. <laughs> well, if everyone that's listening goes on and buys something, then we'll hopefully have enough money to start up, on, uh, you know, selling men's stuff soon. Well, if everyone that's listening buys something, you guys will be like billionaires. And then, then you won't know what to do. Um, I don't know if that's true, but we'll reinvest all of our money so that we can expand, and that's our plan, and to promote compassionate fashion. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, the interview, and uh, we'll keep tabs on you for the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next, we're going to take a little break from the conference and do an interview that I conducted with uh, Lisa and Jeff who I met at the conference. They run a vegan bed and breakfast in the Berkshires, on the New York State side of the Berkshires, and it's called Red Robin Song Guest House. It's a vegan B&B, &B, and they were kind enough to let me stay there a night to conduct an interview and take some pictures of their goats. It's, it's also a sanctuary for goats and some other animals, so you can go hang out at a B&B &B and visit some goats and get a really good meal in the morning. So we're going to play this interview, and then after that, we'll get back to the expo with Melanie Joy. So stay tuned. Vegan Radio. I'm here with Jeff and Lisa at the Red Robin Song Vegan Bed and Breakfast in New Lebanon, New York. How are you guys? Good, how are you? Good. Very good. And I met Lisa at the... Dude, I always forget how to say the whole name of it, but the New York State Capital, or is it the New York Capital Region Vegetarian Expo? <laughs> you guys don't know it. <laughs> I think they need to shorten the name of it, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't I mind being a little irreverent. So. I didn't make it. You didn't make it? Yeah. I had a sick goat. A sick goat. <laughs> so you guys have, so it's a bed and breakfast and you also have goats and chickens? And guineas. And guineas, guinea guinea hens. Uh, there's one hen. One hen. Yeah. Right. What what is, what is a how does a guinea uh, differentiate from other poultry birds? Well, the reason that we got the guineas in the first place was because um, Lyme disease and ticks are pretty bad out here in this part of the country, as I'm sure you probably know. Right. And we were told by many that they're great about 
taking care of those ticks. So um, that's the reason we started looking into getting some guinea hens. And then we found they had such wonderful personalities. And uh, <laughs> they don't let you get anywhere near them like the chickens do, but um, they're fun to have around. Yeah. The, the chickens are much more, they'll cool hop looking. up on your lap and they're friendly, but the guineas stay their distance. Yeah, they're wild. They stay, they stay pretty wild. They come in at night, but, and most people say they won't, you can't train them to come in at night, but ours do. No, that's good. Yeah. And then we also have cats, cats. and uh, a dog. <laughs> that's it for right now. <laughs> cool. And how'd you end up uh, with the goats? Did you... <laughs> Actually, the goats, this is, should I tell them the whole no. story? So um, this is a fun story. So um, we were out here for a while, and this is when we were sort of trying to decide if we were ready to open the bed and breakfast and if um, Jeff was going to go back to work full time or if we were going to try to do this, you know, as, as a, a serious endeavor. And um, Catskill Farm Animal Sanctuary, which isn't too far from us, um, uh, was having an open house or, or just it was a nice day and I wanted to go there to look at the animals. And Jeff said, no, we're not going out there because we're not ready to buy any far to, to adopt any farm animals yet. And I said, well, let's just go to look. I just want to f see what there is. Eventually, we might want to get something. So we're just going to go to look. <laughs> and he was very hesitant, but I talked him into it. We went out to the Catskill Farm Animal Sanctuary. And um, right away, it was Julie, wasn't it? Um, she said, oh, we've got some new goats that just came in. Do you want to see the goats? And we kind of knew we wanted to get goats. Um, so we went out there, and they had um, two moms that had just been rescued from a hoarding situation um, that were pregnant when they came in and they just had their babies. So they oh, were wow. um, two moms and th three, three babies and um, we just fell in love immediately. And I'll never forget, we were in the barn and I was looking at the goats and then she made some kind of a comment like, we're really hoping to keep them all together as a family, but I don't know if that'll be possible. And I thought, okay, how am I going to convince Jeff to even consider this? And I was like, I know he made me promise. I know he made me promise. And it's just as I was trying to figure out how, what to say, he looks at Julie and he said, we'll take them all. Wow. <laughs> so that's awesome. we went through the process and that's how we got the um, five. And then we went back for another visit a couple months later and then they informed us that um, the dads were still there. Oh, you know, well, didn't you know the dads are still here? And we didn't even know that. So then we went back and we got the two dads. So that's how we ended up with seven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we just decided that that's kind of the turning point where we knew that um, if we did want to make the commitment to adopt uh, animals, we couldn't both be working full time on a, at a regular job. So, yeah, so this is basically my... Because the job. property needed a lot of work. He did you know, all the improvements, and I mean, that's a full-time job as it is, and, and, and we thought if we um, go full-time with a bed and breakfast, it would allow him to stay at home with the animals, and we would be able to uh, to adopt the goats. So the goats are really the reason I think this all came together. Wow. It, wow. it gave us a Excellent. real inspiration to do it now, <laughs> yep. That's sweet. <laughs> so, have you been back to the Catskill Sanctuary since then? <laughs> uh, only once. We're very, we're, we're very, very reluctant to go out there because we're not quite ready. We don't want to bite off more than we can chew. But I keep asking him, but he always yeah, steers me away. So. That'd be funny if every time you went, they said, oh, didn't you know about these other family members, the uh, cousins and the... Yeah, so eventually we'll the second cousins. <laughs> we visited, they know how to pull our strings. We visited the one outside of Ithaca. Oh, um, the farm sanctuary. The farm right? sanctuary, yeah. yeah. And, uh, 
and that was fine because they don't adopt them out right well they do they no do. that they one do. does the Wood woodstock doesn't woodstock, the, oh, woodstock yeah. they don't okay. adopt goats yeah. or okay. i think woodstock i mean woodstock adopts animals out pretty much out, most of the sanctuaries do because that's the only way to keep making room for more oh yeah, yeah. well we went to when we went to the one in uh, watkins flying farm animal i fell in love with this cow yeah. <laughs> Jeff just got really ner- a nervous look on his face because he knows how much they eat. So yeah. Yeah. somehow he was able to pull commitment. me away from there. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably more picky about what they eat than goats too. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, if if you guys are successful, you know, can keep going. How many uh, how many acres of land do you have? Eighty five right now. Oh wow! So you got plenty of room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could have all kinds of farm animals. And what's nice about the property, it's it's surrounded by um, acres that are under land conservancy. So yeah, hundreds um, of acres. Oh, there's hiking great. beyond. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what other attractions? I mean, for for a vegan, I think just being close to Catskill Sanctuary and and having the goats here is a pretty big draw. Is there any what what else is in the area, not specifically vegan, but that would be good for people to check out while they're here oh there's the jimmy peak ski resort which is 10 minutes away um great skiing out there for oh, skiers yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> do they do stuff in the summer there yeah they have like an alpine slide and uh some kind of a little adventure park of some sort yeah uh, and um tanglewood it's nearby okay uh, boston symphony orchestra's summer home so you must Kripalu must be close to Kripalu too, which they've got great cross country skiing trails yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, great vegan lunch and dinners mm-hmm. and um, a lot of vegan stuff there. There's just a lot of um I mean Hudson's nearby for some great antiquing and <laughs> Stockbridge, Great right? Barrington, you know, a lot of a lot of towns where there's a lot of shopping. Um Vegan friendly restaurants. There's there's a few within driving distance. So if you are vegan, there are other places you can go for lunch and for dinner. The Norman Rockwell um, Museum is not that far. Oh wow. There's a lot to do. Where's um, what's oh the, the um <laughs> oh Greylock Mount Greylock, which is a great place for really hiking. Really close. Oh, That's yeah. a great hiking spot. <clears throat> And the Shaker Museum is not too far at all, which is a... So what's with those Shakers? The the wedding I was photographing yesterday nearby uh, was right in the middle of Shaker country, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Are there there any Shakers left? They're they're the ones that um, were totally against procreation and... Right, they kind of yeah. just became extinct because they didn't have yeah. any babies. <laughs> they it's couldn't actually, talk new people into it. <laughs> it's really interesting. The Shaker Museum, which is, again, only about 10 minutes from here, um, it does go over the whole history, and you can watch a video. And I think there were two Shakers left, not two. I, I think no. I might two be Shakers all good. left? Yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, again, we should know more about the history. Hopefully but it's, but it's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. And by the way, even though that was the rule, how they weren't supposed to, oh, of, yeah. of course it well, happens. You can't so. stop human nature. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, think the, I think the Catholics are figuring that out too. And there's also... <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, there's also, um, for a theater, there's a little place called the Theater Barn um, in the summer that has plays um and darrow school has tannery pond mm-hmm. where there's concerts so and there are some things pretty close by yeah you could walk to those actually if you had to cool. <laughs> well let's talk about the the food that's what the vegans like to hear about so 
this morning you laid out a great spread for me. Is this what, what every guest usually gets this much, or are you just trying to impress um, me? No, that's <laughs> what we do for us. Uh... <laughs> Nobody leaves hungry, that's for sure. So there was, so let's see, we started with uh, yogurt and fresh fruit and granola. Mm-hmm. And, Soy uh, yogurt, of course. We, all the names oh, for yeah. these things. Yep. Some, Everything's sometimes even, vegan. Yeah, vegans will, will be nervous because we use <laughs> the word sausage or yogurt, but yeah, yeah. everything is vegan. And this pineapple, so you, you had a pineapple that was carved out with fruit inside it, and and it looked like a plate full of pineapple rings, but when I went to pull one off, they were all connected together, so you must have some <laughs> kind of... Uh, Coring device that a makes a big spiral of contra- pineapples. Contraption, yes. You know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Kitchen gadgetries. <laughs> is that a is that a motor run device or it's hand powered? No, it's no. actually a pretty simple. Um, yeah, I can much. show it to you. It's just a. Um, it's actually anyone that actually. likes pineapple should get one. They're inexpensive and it allows you to scoop out the entire pineapple yeah, and then and it's, keep it's the, great. the husk all in one piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like running a. Uncorking a bottle of wine, <laughs> <laughs> and so and then then there was the pancakes, pumpkin pancakes. Yeah. Is that because pumpkins in season? Is yeah, that a we year just started. Thing? We just started making them. Well, we've only yeah. been here for a year, so we're still kind of experimenting and trying yeah. new recipes. But yeah. that's a new um, recipe we we found. Um, so we thought for fall and going into winter, it's been a popular one. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we usually try to give guests a choice of a few different entrees in case they like something more than another. A tofu scramble is a real popular one for yeah. some, but some people don't like tofu, so we always try to ask. We didn't get a chance <laughs> yeah, to ask a, you. Yeah, there's so. a soy backlash right now, I know. Yeah, and, and we can, if anyone has soy allergies or a gluten-free mm-hmm. or anything like that, we'll accommodate to any request. It's just okay. helpful if we know in advance. But And um, so then there is potatoes, a really good potato. Garlic, spinach, potatoes. Garlic, spinach, potatoes. And then the the what what kind of sausage was that? That was uh, we use um, this yeah. one we bought. It was a field roast um, uh, apple sage. Apple sage. Um, so sometimes you make your own. Um, well, sometimes we'll make. Um, we we haven't actually made a sausage yet. I have a recipe that I'd like to try, but sometimes we'll just make tofu um, strips um, and and put that on the side. So. <laughs> We try to make as much as we can, but unfortunately, we just don't have the time to make everything from scratch. So we'll yeah. use things like Field Roast and some of those that popular vegan brands. Depending. Another popular one is the, um, banana French, or not, yeah, banana French toast. That's oh wow, that jazz. sounds good. I guess <clears throat> we like that. We made some crepes that uh, the first time we made them, they turned out perfect, and we were so excited. And then the next time we, crepes can be a little bit uh, tricky. So <laughs> there are some that are a little bit more difficult than others, but we've yeah. been trying new recipes as we go along. Oh, that's great. And I noticed you had all the natural uh, cruelty-free shampoos and soaps in the bathroom. And That's right. So Everything is uh, no animal testing. Um Vegan, no animal ingredients, and uh, no parabens. Also, we try to make sure they're healthy. Also, and there's there's a lot of beautiful uh, rooms and light and big open spaces here. It's really nice. Um, I guess I didn't get back in time last night to enjoy a fire, but <laughs> usually I have a fire going if it's if it's cool enough. Yeah. So there's a giant fireplace and a wood stove. You got like multiple. Do you use a wood stove too? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Depends on how cold it is and how many people are here, I guess. 
And the guests have access in addition to the room. Um, Jeff and I, our quarters are kind of separated from the rest of, of the house. So um, when someone's here, they not only can spend time in their room, but the uh, great room that you're describing, they have full access to that at all times. So there's a uh, you know, library, reading areas. Um, yes, you have a little vegan library over here. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of refrigerators. So since we can't serve alcohol, if anyone wants to bring wine or beer or snacks or anything like that, they're welcome to use our refrigerators. Um, there's a grill that they have. Um, they can feel free to use in the. So how many people, if there was like a, a big group of people that wanted to come, how many do you think you could accommodate? I'd say between, as far as... Well, we're set up, right now we're only approved and set up for three rooms, um, three rooms. at double occupancy, yeah, so we can have six. Six people. Um, we have room to expand in the future, but for right now, um, Maybe it, it some would be kids six. Maybe but as far as <laughs> and we are pet friendly too yeah um, oh cool um, we have one room um, where pets are so um, if uh, and, and the guests pets we ask that they're either in the room or we have an outside kind of pen area so that way if any guests are um, allergy sensitive yeah. since our animals are usually outside mm -hmm. of, of this area um, there are rooms where animals have never been at all. So even some oh, of those nice. severe allergies, if, if they stay in the right room, which would be the <laughs> lily pad or the um, the bird's nest, um, they usually don't have any issues. As far as someone coming to do presentations or anything of that sort, you could probably do 10, 15 yeah, you could people have a, in this if room wanted or to have that. If it wasn't overnight, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's beautiful. And eventually I'm building up a <coughs> pavilion, so we'll, have, we'll be able to have weddings and small, oh, nice. small weddings and things like that. Cool. Potlucks, leading potlucks. And maybe I'll get Not to that. photograph a wedding here someday. Yeah, <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> and how long have you guys been vegan, or how'd you get on that path? Actually, I've been vegan for um, about seven years now. Um, and Jeff's actually vegetarian. Okay. Um, he's almost vegan. <laughs> I, I call myself a very strict vegetarian, a lazy <laughs> vegan. I'm still working on him, but um, but for ve but but our um, bed and breakfast and the business and what we serve is 100% vegan, and, and the Bath and Body products are 100% vegan too. But, Sweet. Oh, so anyway, so Jeff, um, when he moved out here. Um, and we got together. He became vegetarian immediately. <laughs> and, the lovable uh, woman. Yes. Well, and well, it was, <laughs> he was open to it. I think because of me. But I think yeah. uh, actually, what what really opened his eyes was just watching one movie. Um, I had him watch Eating, which you might be familiar with. It, I don't think I've seen that one. It's it's a great, um, especially for someone who doesn't know that much about veganism. Um, the first half focuses on the health aspects, and it's very um, logical and statistical. It has a lot of doctors with a lot of facts and figures oh, yeah. on the health aspects of it. Um, and the second half goes into the animal um, aspect of it and the factory farming. And um, he, as soon as he watched that movie, he just looked at me and said, I'm never eating meat again. Wow. Ever and he didn't, um, and since then he's gone to almost you know almost vegan. Working towards it. That's right. <laughs> it's it's so hard. Uh, some places you go and there's like nothing to eat or no. Well, you can cook so well. Bring a little doggy bag with you wherever you go. Sweet. Um, so anything else about the property or? Um... Not really. Just I'm always. You said there's some. 
trail or something, some nice stuff oh, yeah, to walk hi- around. Oh, hiking trails yeah. definitely on the property. I'm always manicuring them and trying to make them a little better and groomed and expanding on, you know, making more. The um, winter, and we have a couple of extra sets of snowshoes too. Snowshoeing is great here in the mm-hmm. in the winter. Oh, wow. yeah. um, and then we're close by to a lot of other hiking and biking trails. Yeah. So if someone's active and they want to get out and hike and walk, yeah. it's uh, endless opportunities for that around here. One of my next projects is building a bunch of squirrel houses and other kinds of wild, <laughs> wild animal shelters, porcupines might, <laughs> might use or something. Squirrel house, I've never house. seen a squirrel house. Bat houses, I like the bat houses. Owl houses. Owl house. Oh wow! Um, and where'd the where'd you come? How'd you come up with Red Robin song as a name? Well, my last name is Red R E D D, and Lisa's my maiden name, name Robinson. Robinson. Oh. So initially, yeah, initially we I don't know exactly how we came up with that, but we thought the Red Robin, yeah. um, Red Robin Guest House, Red, or Red Robin, Robin Inn. And then um, we went uh, for a trip back home where we're from, and uh, one of the people that inspired us was a, a friend of ours who has had a Ben breakfast for a long time. And, um, from Tierra Linda. Yeah, Tierra Linda in, yeah. in uh, Galena, Illinois, and uh, we were really excited about opening the... We hadn't been open yet at that time. We were just talking yeah. about it, and he was asking about the name, and we said Red Robin, and I think I said, you know, because my last name... Yeah, Red, because my last name's Robinson, and he misunderstood what we said, mm-hmm. or he has a pretty thick Colombian accent, and he repeated back, oh, that's beautiful, the Red Robin song. <laughs> and we thought, wow, that's it. That sounds even better. <laughs> yeah. So he actually um, just either we misunderstood what he said or, or he misunderstood what we accent, said, but that's his accent. Like that's how we came <laughs> with, the na- with the name. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> And are there are there red robins? Is that a bird? Is that a well? They're bird? actually American robins, but we have a lot of American. Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the song of the American. Yeah, but there's robin a lot of birds. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of bird feeders around. So um, yeah, so there's a birding book up in my room or the bathroom or something. You can see probably the woodpeckers out here mm-hmm. and um, a lot of birds. In the late winter, early spring, there's tons of these huge blue jays everywhere. And we do have two ponds, um, so that draws a lot of sometimes geese and ducks and uh, yeah, herons, like herons. Cool. Cool. Deer, see a lot of deer out on the pasture there. Yeah. All right, well, I'm ready to go out and look for some of these <laughs> critters. Um, it's Thank you so much for having me Thank here. It's, it was Thank a wonderful breakfast, and it's a beautiful place. And Thank you very much. For some of our listeners will come check it out. Definitely. Thank you. <laughs> All right. That was Jeff and, Robin, uh, <laughs> Jeff and Lisa from the Red Robin Song Guest House, Bed and Breakfast Vegan Animal Sanctuary in the Berkshires on the New York State border. And um, amazing place. I hope anyone who travels up that way will check it out and stay a night and meet these guys and the goats and the chickens and the cats and dogs and who knows who else will be there by the time you get there. Um, I also took some pictures of the bed and breakfast in the sanctuary. You can check out veganradio.com to find links to those. There's also photographs of the vegetarian expo that I took 
Um, the Vegetarian Expo actually had a vegan fashion show, which was pretty fun. So I took some pictures of the people modeling uh, vegan clothing. Um, I didn't record a lot of interviews at the expo. You know, I've I've been kind of in. Uh, I've got so many back interviews that I I need to post to Vegan Radio that I'm I'm kind of slowing down on recording new ones and and trying to get caught up. But now I'm settling down in New Orleans for the winter and uh, should be getting into a routine. I found this really great person I think is going to be a new co-host with me down here. Her name's Ashley, and I was just on the radio with her. for. She has a show on the Tulane radio station, um, but I don't want to give too much of that away before it actually happens because you know how I am. Anyway, without any further ado, the author of Why We Love Dogs... Uh, eat pigs and wear cows. Melanie Joy, who has termed, coined the term carnism, which I have been using in my vocabulary. I think it's a great way to um, bring up exactly what is wrong with eating meat and to put it into a framework that you can discuss with people. And uh, so I'm going to let her explain more of what that is in the interview because she'll do a much better job than I will. Um, and there's links to all of this stuff at veganradio.com. Please visit our website and give us some love, give us some comments, like our Facebook page. All that stuff will help get this project going again. It's going to be the best, the baddest ass, the most fun vegan podcast out there. Um, so... Stick it out. Stay tuned. Here's Melanie Joy. Here at the New York Capital Region District area with too long of a name, Vegetarian Expo. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm here with Melanie Joy, author of Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. How are you? I'm having a great time. How are you? <laughs> I'm having a great time. I'm really glad you're here. I think your books is one of the more important books that's come out lately in the animal rights movement well thank you that's so nice to hear i really appreciate that well i, I like the um can you talk about carnism a little what what it is and how you came up with the name and just give our listeners a little brief overview so carnism is um the belief system that conditions people to eat certain animals um, it's essentially the opposite of veganism we tend to think it's only vegans and vegetarians who bring our beliefs to the dinner table but most people don't eat pigs but not dogs for example because they don't have a belief system when it comes to eating animals and when eating animals is not a necessity for survival then it is a choice and choices always stem from beliefs and I came upon this idea of carnism as I was thinking about and eventually researching um, the psychology of eating meat. I ended up writing my doctoral dissertation on the psychology of meat consumption. And as I was interviewing people, I interviewed vegans and vegetarians and meat eaters and meat cutters and butchers and people who had raised and killed their own animals for food. I discovered that there was much more to the picture than simply individual attitudes and behaviors toward animals because everybody I interviewed had a very similar experience of either eating or working with or I should say working on animals and so I realized that there was this these kinds of attitudes toward animals conflicting attitudes toward animals they, they can only exist within a widespread ideology 
and that's what led me to, to, to recognize the existence of carnism. Is there any other, um, any other type of belief system in history that you could point to that's similar that the human race has um, outgrown? Outgrown? Or, or, you know, has become obsolete because of the evolution of human ethics? Sure. I mean, I would say there are manifestations of belief systems that have been transformed. Slavery is a good example. I mean, slavery is a manifestation of racism. Um, but we no longer, even though, unfortunately, there is still an active slave trade in the world, um, the vast majority of humans no longer endorse slavery as an uh, appropriate um, human practice. And um, we are now, even though, again, racism and sexism and heterosexism, ageism and classism continue to exist, they are in public consciousness today. And there are groups and movements that are act actively working to transform them. And these groups and movements, by and large, have popular support. And so that's my hope, raising awareness about carnisms, that people will recognize that there is this invisible ism out there that really conditions them when they eat animals to act against their core values and their own interests as well as the interests of others that was long-winded uh, that's good you're well you're a professor you're you're supposed to be a little long-winded right no, good professors are not long-winded students don't want long-winded professors they just want professors that help them think critically and keep them engaged right right so at the beginning of, of the book, I remember that there's a part about um, inviting some or, or somebody's eating food and then they're, oh, like, what is this? And, and they, they, tell, they get told that it's a dog and then they freak out. Um, but in other cultures like China, they might eat dogs and, and think nothing of it. Right. And how does, that, um, how does that illustrate carnism? Well, what's interesting is that um, even though the type of species changes from culture to culture, the type of species consumed changes from culture to culture, in meat-eating cultures around the world, each culture tends to have a tiny handful out of thousands of possible animal species, a tiny handful of animals that they've classified as edible. And all the rest they classify as inedible and therefore disgusting. And... Um, and all cultures tend to see their own choices as rational and the choices of other cultures as disgusting and offensive. So the process, the way in which we think about and relate to the animals that we eat is remarkably consistent across cultures. What changes simply is the type of animals that are classified as food. And that's, that's why we don't eat locusts and, they, and things in the U.S. either, right? Right. And there are people who eat like, locusts and things in other parts of the world. <laughs> Um, and could you talk about internalized carnism? Sure. It, carnism is a, a dominant belief system or ideology, and, and what that means is that it is, um, it's entrenched, it's institutionalized, it's embraced and maintained by all major social institutions from the family to the state. And when we're born into an entrenched system, we inevitably absorb that system's logic as our own. So, in other words, we, we learn to see the world through the lens of carnism. We internalize carnism. It shapes our psyche. So anybody who is born into a carnistic society is inevitably going to have a particular mentality, the mentality of meat, um, that enables them to 
participate in practices that they would likely choose not to participate in if they hadn't been socialized to do so. So carnism is a system that's organized around defense mechanisms. Because systems like carnism have tenets, that's teachings, that run counter to core human values in order to get humane people to participate in inhumane practices, these systems have to use a set of social and psychological defense mechanisms that essentially teach us to shut down our awareness and block our empathy when it comes to eating animals. Carnism teaches us how not to feel, and so we internalize these defenses, and we automatically use them. So, for instance, um, objectification. It's a cognitive process. Um, it's the process by which we perceive someone as something. We refer to a hamburger as someone, as something versus someone, and it becomes easier to carry out violence toward a, a thing. It's easier to carry out violence toward a thing than it is to toward a being, and and we've internalized this way of looking at animals that is so saturated in our culture. Yeah, I, I was actually today. Uh, I went to a lecture. I won't say who it was, but they were talking about. Um, cows and dairy and you know the health the health the um, health problems with dairy but when when they were talking about the cows they were saying it instead of he or, sh or she well a cow a dairy cow is obviously a she and that just struck me as like mm -hmm. you know you should be as a vegan you know you should be aware and saying she right. just to to kind of make people think it's another level Right, but I mean, even those of us who are vegans who have been vegans for a long time, if we're not made aware of this objectifying language, um, it, it's not something that we're going to catch on to for the most part automatically because we're all born into and saturated in this culture. Even those of us who have stepped outside the carnistic box. I mean, for instance, the phrase dairy cow is suggestive that somebody's born to produce dairy as opposed to saying a cow used for dairy which is something that you said, it's something that I have said many times, and I actually do say until I catch myself, or farm animal, as opposed to farmed animal. Um, it's just that we've internalized carnistic language and the carnistic frame so deeply that even those of us who are actively working to abolish the system still can perpetuate it with our language without even realizing. I still learn, I still catch myself saying things in retrospect that I realize, wow, that was actually kind of a carnistic frame I was thinking in. It's true. I remember the, the Farm Sanctuary came out with a, a cookbook by Joanne Stepaniak that came out, um, Farm Sanctuary. I forget what it was called, but it had all these quotes like to kill two birds with one stone and then and then she made up new like sayings to replace that. I thought that, and that was probably one of the first times I really started thinking about this language, you know, before I read your book and had any name for carnism or anything. But it, mm -hmm. it's definitely language is very. I, we kind of build our reality out of language. So, Absolutely. I mean, language both um, reflects and reinforces our perception of rea reality and it is incredibly powerful and even just like what you know what Joanne did um, even just intentionally using new idioms that are not speciesist gets people to stop and think and helps them make the connection because breaking through carnism is all about making the connection I mean carnism exists to disconnect us from ourselves from the, the truth of our experience um, from other animals and, um, and language plays a key role in doing that. So any language that can help forge a connection, you know, saying someone rather than something when people are eating animals is incredibly powerful. Um, 
using an idiom, I say, you know, free two birds from one cage. And, <laughs> and people will always stop and say, oh, I never thought of that. And just getting people to think, just, just getting people to stop and think and question what they've learned is, I think, so important. Colleen Patrick Goudreau says, our goal as vegan activists needs to be simply to plant seeds. Every time you can plant a seed, you've reached a goal. Awesome. Do you have any other um, thoughts on the best forms of activism to combat carnism? <laughs> or bring it to the light of day? The best form of activism is whatever form of activism suits you. We are all so different, and I am, I am in such awe of people who do the things that I feel like I could never do, um, like organizing a conference like this. This is amazing. I could never do this. It's not, I'm not wired that way. Um, people who are, you know, vegan outreach, doing vegan outreach with the pamphlets, um, people who are running, waging campaigns or rescuing, you know, doing, uh, running shelters for farmed animals. I always tell activists, it's so important to tailor your activism to your life, not your life to your activism. Otherwise you burn out. So you ask yourself, what is it that I enjoy doing? What fulfills me? And what am I good at? And, and that's the form of activism you should be doing, as long as it reflects your core values of compassion and um, integrity. Do you have any um, thoughts as far as activism on um, welfareism versus um, abolition? Well, that's a great question. I, I don't really think of welfareism as an ism. Um, and just like I don't think about abolitionism as an is ism either, I think they're two uh, strategic approaches to bringing about change for farmed animals with the same goal but different means for reaching that end. Um, the focus that I have had is on using carnism to work toward the abolition of animal agriculture because I think it's very important that we define the problem that we are working to change or working to solve accurately, how you define the problem determines how you define the solution to the problem. And I see the problem not simply as animal agriculture, but as carnism, the belief system that enables animal agriculture to exist in the first place. And to that end, I have been um, writing about and thinking about ways to apply this new frame strategically to bring about change for farmed animals and to help vegan activists who are consider themselves in the abolition camp and also consider consider themselves um, as so-called welfareists and the uh, using carnism as an approach really straddles both schools of thought. Well, that's cool. That's kind of how I feel. I think uh, you know I've I've heard abolitionists say that. Um, you know, these, these humane reforms to, say, uh, outline battery cages or something like that kind of give people a moral loophole that they don't have to think about it anymore. And then on the other hand, I've heard people like Gene Bauer say that, um, you know, because they've brought these issues into the public arena that a lot more people are thinking about them and and taking that next step and becoming vegan, and it's it seems... Like, we shouldn't be infighting too much, even though we should be discussing these things, obviously. No, I think you make a very important point, which is, um, you know, how, how do we want to use our resources as vegans? And um, the way that carnism and other dominant systems maintain themselves, one of the ways, is by using a divide-and-conquer strategy. 
um, by pitting those who should be on the same side against each other, and we essentially do the system's job for it, um, sort of a divide-and-conquer approach that leads to um, what I call strategic suicide in my first book, Strategic Action for Animals. The question is an important question. You know, do we do welfare reforms um, that are seeking to eventually abolish animal agriculture end up reinforcing the very practices that they are working to reform because they give people a new justification for eating animals. That was a question that you raised and the question that some people raise about them. And I think it's important to recognize that social change is always slow. What vegans believe are um, a reflection of the fact that the movement has not been doing its job, which is the emergence of so-called happy meat or humane meat or so-called sustainable meat are in fact very good signs that the movement is doing its job. These are a backlash against the movement, and a backlash is a reaction of the dominant culture to threats of opposing groups. Carnism relies on, as I said, a set of defenses, and the primary defense of the system is, is denial. If we deny there's a problem in the first place, then we don't have to do anything about it. Denial is expressed through invisibility. And carnism remains invisible by remaining unnamed. If we don't name it, we can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. We can't question it. We can't challenge it. it the invisibility of carnism is why eating animals is perceived to be a given rather than um, a choice. Carnism also keeps its victims out of sight and conveniently out of public consciousness. And carnism is a system of victimization that victimizes all of us. And obviously the animals are the most direct and obvious victims. But everybody is a participant in the system and everybody is... All humans are participants in the system, for better or worse, and everybody is impacted by the system. But what's happened is that because of the, um, largely because of the actions of vegan activists and um, activists that are fighting farmed animal um, exploitation, invisibility has been sufficiently, in my opinion, destabilized. More and more people now are aware of at least factory farms or CAFOs and are finally, for the first time, for many of them, starting to uh, really question the legitimacy of eating animals, to examine their relationship with eating animals. And so what's happened is that the second line of defense of carnism justification has taken on a more important role now in defending the system. And so these new forms of carnism that I call neocarnisms, happy meat is an example of one, you know, so-called humane meat, um, or compassionate carnism, or sustainable meat. Um, these are simply, these are ideologies that are organized around a justification for eating animals. The, the result, however, of people actually examining their choices, and, and that's a good thing. I mean, we've been asking people to examine their choices when it comes to eating animals, and they have. And most people who have espoused these neocarnisms are people who have, who do in fact want to do less harm, but they have not actually stepped outside of the carnistic system. It, these neocarnisms are like a carnistic safety net. You know, you try to step out of the system and then you land in another form of carnism. So I think that vegans should be, should see these as signs of success and continue to challenge them. Um, and again, this straddles, these are, these neocarnisms are, are arguments that, that at least I've heard some people who consider themselves abolitionists to use, use against welfare reforms. Like, see, now people are eating happy meat. And, um, you know, that's, in their minds anyway, some of their minds, that's um, 
an indication that we've just given them another justification for eating animals. But I would argue that these justifications that are being used now are, this is the way social change happens. This is the inevitable result of getting people to examine their choices. I mean, most people don't go from being carnist to vegan. They take steps along the way. This is one of those steps, or it should be. Our job is to encourage them to continue and not stop at so-called humane meat and to expose humane meat as a myth the way that we have exposed meat as a myth, in a sense, or the necessity for appropriateness of meat as a myth. Well, that's great. I, th- I think a lot of us have uh, have kind of gotten taken off guard by the uh, the local happy meat movement and, and not know as well how to argue against it. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that uh, your work is uh, encompassing that and has answers for that. Do you have any other insights into how we can what, what you can say to somebody when they say, well, I only eat local eggs. or yeah. I have conversations with people about this all the time, and that's because I'm traveling all the time now, and I'm meeting people in airports and on planes and in transit who say, where are you going and what are you doing? And I tell them, and, and very often they'll say, oh, I think it's horrible what happens to those animals in factory farms, and that's why I only buy my meat from... Whole Foods that's rated it. I don't know what their rating system is, but you know what I'm talking about. This, right. Like humane meat. And, you know, or, or people who are concerned with sustainability, same thing. Um, you know, and what I always do is I don't, I, I ask them what motivated them to make those choices in the first place. Really, what, what motivated you to decide that you were no longer going to support um, so called factory farms? And inevitably, it comes down to I care. I care about animals. I care about the planet. I didn't want to be part of the problem. I wanted to be part of the solution. And, you know, what we focus on grows. I always say that it's important to water the right seeds. There's this wonderful Buddhist parable that says, we all have within us the seeds of greed, hatred, and desire. And we also have the seeds of love, compassion, and empathy. And our job is just to water the right seeds. So when people make choices that reflect their desire to do less harm, what I want to do is I want to help them explore that part of themselves that wants to do less harm and, and cultivate that. Oh, that's great. And so, and how do you feel now about what you eat? And then I share my own experience of how I did not transition from carnism to to veganism overnight. And for me, it was a slow transition with the assumption that they're in the process of transitioning too, to doing no harm. And so I think it's really coming from a place of compassion and a place of respect for a person's desire to do the right thing. And then... A lot of advocacy, all of my advocacy is through sharing my own story. I share my story of how I came to veganism and how I had these stops along the way and each time I learned a little bit more and finally I got to the point where I recognized that I didn't want to kill anybody who would choose to live if they had a choice to live. And finally, um, would you... Carnism. I know you have you coined other terms besides carnism. Neo carnism. Neo carnism. Um, no, I don't think I have. Okay. I mean, not um, intentionally. I'm now, is carnism a, a word that you would use mostly with other vegans, or is this something that you would call or you know use publicly to um, describe uh, the system? Um, it's that is a great question. I'll use the term carnist with other vegans, but not with people who are not vegan or vegetarian. Carnism I use with everybody. 
Because carnist is a term I, I coined because I think it's really accurate. It's the only, you know, omnivore and carnivore are obviously not accurate because they describe physiolo physiology, not ideology. Meat eater describes a behavior as though it's devoid of a belief system. And that these terms reinforce carnism by masking it, by, by obscuring the fact that, by, by making carnism seem natural where omnivores were supposed to be eating animals or normal, where meat eaters were not actually following a belief system um, or necessary. And so I think carnist is very important to use. However, um, it is triggering to people who are not vegan or vegetarian because it sounds to them offensive, understandably, and most people are inadvertent carnists. You know, they're participating in the system without even realizing they're participating in it. So I would not use that with people who are not vegan or vegetarian. Carnism, however, is great to use with everybody because it really takes the focus off the individual and puts it onto the system. So when we're talking about eating animals, we can say it's, you know, you're not a bad person because you eat animals. You're part of the system where it's a social norm and we all were born into this. And most of us did not grow up vegan or vegetarian. Great. And is there a website where our listeners can uh, find your book and your information? Uh, carnism.com <laughs> what, what do you know what do you know <laughs> well thank you so much it's been a pleasure uh, getting to interview you and uh, your book is really great and I'm recommending it to all my friends that are interested in going deeper oh you're great you're great thank you so much what's your favorite vegan food I think the, hmm. maybe not kale Tofu? Wow, this is a hard question. Vegan cheese. Vegan cheese? You like diet cheese? Yes, I like diet cheese. That is my favorite food. Can you say, listen to vegan radio and go vegan? <laughs> that is funny. Could you say that? Listen to vegan radio and go vegan. Thank you. High five.
was an old black guitar. Stop that bullet dead. There was only one millimeter of tofu left between that bullet and my heart. <laughs> <laughs>